Hello, hello. My name is Dr. Rachel Gainsborough, and I am obsessed with all things short-term rentals, revenue streams, and helping you navigate your career, real estate, and your busiest and most wonderful seasons of life. I'm an immigrant, a pharmacist, a wife, and a mom who took one guest room rental and turned it into a multi-property seven-figure real estate business, which has also landed us on TV. I'll teach you the real secrets and everything you need to build a short-term rental business that you love. I discuss the hard topics, mistakes I've made, and the mistakes others have made so you don't have to make them for yourself. Financing, automations, acquisitions, low occupancy, scaling, and building your team all while balancing your life are all subjects to be discussed here. Consider me that one best friend you can come to with your short-term rental business questions. So grab your coffee, get comfortable as you get ready to learn and grow with me. This is the Luxury Short-Term Rental Doctor podcast. Good evening, everyone. I am just super excited and honored to have the Yona Weiss with us. If you guys have not met Yona, what are you doing? This is our cause segregation expert, and he is here with us. And I'm so excited because right before we jumped on this podcast, what I loved is the conversation we were having surrounding short-term rentals, surrounding small business, and oftentimes, especially as higher achievers and some of us who have the higher incomes, in order to generate more revenue in our businesses and in our lives, it's go, 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 either trading more time for our dollars or more sales of a product or more sales of nightly stays. But there's another lever that we can be pulling. And I want to show that to you all. So for those of you who own short-term rentals, or those of you who are looking to purchase your first short-term rental, which is what this group is about, there's a very important and powerful lever to pull that doesn't require you to do more sales, more bookings. And I, I just don't want anyone to miss out because friends don't let friends miss out. But the expert is here with us tonight. So Yona, please take it away. Introduce yourself to the people. Thank you so much, Rachel. It is a pleasure to be joining you. I'm Yona Weiss. You guys may know me from the hit podcast, Weiss Advice. I'm also known as the Cost Sag King, the Cost Irrigation mm -hmm. Expert working with a company called Madison Specs, based in New Jersey, but we are the largest national cost segregation company. You may be asking yourself, what is cost segregation or cost seg? And will this actually help me? And the answer is yes, especially if you own short-term rentals. We're going to get into the nitty-gritty of how this can actually be saving you tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars in income tax. I'm personally a real estate investor myself. I was a teacher for many years, so it's really my passion. And it's kind of come through in this regard with the business development of this company and helping people in all asset classes. This is not something limited to short-term rentals, but we talk about cost irrigation across any type of rental property. Not much more about me, but love to, to get into this and here for any questions. We want you to get a good idea of what cost segs are and whether or not you can position yourself to, to leverage that powerful tool. And Yona, we know that there are changes, right? There are changes. There's also bonus depreciation. We may not get all 100% next year. So for those of us who are like, you know what, I'm going to wait a few years before I buy a property. Maybe you should really think about, think about leveraging the opportunity right now, but we'll get into that in a little bit. But first question, first things first, 
When I initially learned about cost segregation, Yona, I thought it was for multifamily, 100-door apartments. What's up with that? A lot of people thought that it used to be just kind of relegated for larger commercial properties. It can be done on any type of property. But many, for many, many years, you're absolutely right. It used to be just something for larger properties for a couple of reasons. Number one, the cost to get something like this done used to be extremely high. And you have... Like these articles, if you Google like congregation, one of the highest, for whatever reason, I still can't fathom why this is, but one of the top results is this article from the Journal of Accountancy from like 2004 or 2005 or something like that. And it still gets like top results on Google, which is crazy because it's a little bit outdated and, uh, and irrelevant. And it says in that article, which a lot of people quote erroneously, that it may cost you like twenty to $30,000 to actually get this study done. So if you're buying like a, a two, three hundred, four hundred thousand dollar property, it doesn't really make sense. And we'll get into the reasons why exactly. So that's one reason. The second reason is before there was this bonus depreciation rule, which we're going to talk about, and I'll explain that really clearly. Before that existed, and it just came to pass a few years ago, it also was only really beneficial for properties purchased over a million dollars was really where kind of like the sweet spot of where it was extremely beneficial. However, since that happened, and again, we'll get into this and we'll explain all what this is before. I was like, what is he talking about? I don't even get this. Now it's become more beneficial for even smaller owners and especially for short-term rental owners that have a special rule that can actually help you to use these tax deductions against your ordinary or your W-2 income as well. Wow. And, and that's the part right there, guys, because another thing that we were discussing a little bit earlier too, Yona, as a healthcare provider, we often get the shorter end of the stick and we're often stuck in that trading dollars for hours and hours for dollars. And the thing is, and I know oftentimes individuals in our ecosystem family who may not be in medicine, they're like, you're getting all of this money and you're doing great and you're just making bank. But oftentimes you're working these extra hours and, and you end up in a tax bracket where it's really disadvantageous from the perspective of the take home. And so what you just dropped there is is so key because with those hours work, we're missing out on events, we're missing out on family gatherings, we're missing out on time to rest and relax. But leveraging a tool like a cost segregation, I, I really believe that it has the potential to buy us back some of that time freedom that we crave, you know? Absolutely. I've seen many, many people being able to retire just from the tax savings, because like you said, it's not just about how much money you're making and you're trading your time for money, but it's about how much you keep. And especially people who are on high income earners who are being taxed at the highest tax bracket possible, if you can find a way or a loophole to be able to reduce your taxable income and therefore reduce your tax liability, this is a home run because essentially you're able to keep more of your own hard-earned money, which can thereby be reinvested. I know many, many people, dozens who have been able to take the tax savings they've gotten from using a conservation study and the cash that they would have paid the government, they actually used to put on a down payment for, on another rental property, which in turn did it again. And within a few properties, you may have enough cash flow to, to retire off of. So if done right, and obviously you need teachers, you need people who understand how to run a business in the short-term rental, especially luxury rentals. It is a hospitality business. It is something that there's a lot that goes into that, but be done right, you you can actually come home with it with a lot. 
And I'm so excited about that because I do have a, a couple of students who are, they're ready to come home. Some are in the older age range and there's wives and husbands. The wife may be home, but the husband is still grinding it out. So definitely, I'm really excited about this talk tonight. So let's let's break it down and let's just do a rewind, Yona. So tell us, like we're five years old, what is a cost segregation study? Okay, so first of all, Name really weird. Even many, many real estate investors who have been doing this for many years, they may not know the nuances of cost segregation. And I've come across hundreds of people, even CPAs, who really don't understand it, which is crazy because we're talking about a tax benefit. We're getting to know, you know how we can understand this. So let's break it down. Going back to your question, what is a cost segregation study? Simply put, it is a income tax deduction, okay, called depreciation. Okay, cost segregation is just an advanced form of depreciation. So how it works is when you buy a rental property or any business property, anything besides for your personal residence, and this is going to be important when we talk about business property, because obviously we're talking about short-term rentals here, but I guarantee you there may be a lot of other healthcare professionals out there that may be a doctor or a dentist or someone that may actually own the property that their office is in. Operating under, you may not think of yourself necessarily as a real estate investor because you own the building you operate out of. However, you are because you're able to take this depreciation deduction on that business property as well. Okay, so let's talk about rental property depreciation. The word means something's going down in value, but that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about the tax deduction. Now, you may be like me. I'm, I'm not a CPA by trade. My background is not in taxes. I've been doing this for about five years. But before that, like I said, I was a teacher. I'm able to pick up some of these concepts really quickly. And I have a whole team of CPAs and experts on my team that have been doing this for decades. And I really learned a lot from them. But one thing I still don't wrap my head around is most people, when we hear taxes, our kind of brain shuts off. But you know what? If you're real estate investing, like Rachel said before, it's not about how much you make, it's about how much you keep. And a strategy like this, I've seen change lives, okay? Literally, I'm not, not joking here, I'm not trying to be like pitching everyone to do this. This is something that's literally changed lives simply from this strategy. So depreciation, going back to that, it means something's going down in value. But from a tax perspective, it's a borrowed term, okay? Borrowed term, meaning the IRS gives you, allows you to take an income tax deduction on this rental property you have based on the principal that things go down in value as time goes on, okay? That's your regular depreciation. And normally speaking, if you buy a property, you're able to take basically that entire value. Let's say you bought a property for a half a million dollars, okay? You're able to take that entire thing minus land. Land does not depreciate, but the whole building and everything on that depreciates and meaning you can take a tax write-off of that entire value. However, you can't do it all at once. It has to be spread out over a 39-year period. <clears throat> Excuse me, for residential properties, it's actually over a 27 and a half year period, but short-term rentals are considered commercial from this perspective. So it's still going to be over a 39 year period. What that means is your 500,000, half a million dollar property, you're able to take a deduction. If you divide that by 39, approximately $10,000 a year, maybe $11,000 a year, that's going to be your, your write-off. So if you're making great net profits, let's say 40, $50,000 a year, especially a lot of these short-term rentals can, can net that kind of income. If it's a long-term rental, much, much less. However, short-term rental, you may be netting $40,000, You're able to write off, right off the bat, $10,000, $11,000 from that, which means you're only taxed on the remaining $30,000, $40,000, okay? That's how depreciation works. 
That's depreciation. We took a step back, just understanding because cost segregation is just an advanced form of that. Cost segregation, let's take that name, really weird name, but it actually used to be called component depreciation. What we're doing is taking the entire property and breaking it down from an engineering standpoint into its individual components and showing how the IRS actually allows, and not just allows, doesn't require, that's the wrong word, but actually says that different components are supposed to depreciate. You're supposed to take the tax deduction of those components at a faster rate. So certain things, certain components depreciate on a five-year schedule, certain other components on a 15-year schedule. And the structure, that's the main thing, like the roof, walls, doors, windows, right? Infrastructure, electrical, plumbing, stuff like that, septic tanks, whatever it is. All of that is the structural components. That's the only thing that's supposed to be depreciating at a 39-year schedule, meaning the value of those components we can take as a tax write-off over that longer period of time, a little bit each year. But other components like furniture, fixtures, a hot tub is considered like a, a personal, personal property. There's a lot of this stuff when we're talking about cabins or, or beach property, we have a lot of amenities. All of those things that are non-structural depreciate on a five-year schedule, meaning we can take the value of those components and take it as a tax write-off at a faster rate. So why is this important to us? Okay, why who cares if we're taking these tax write-offs at a faster rate? So remember my example where I just told you on a half a million dollar purchase, you could with a regular depreciation take about a, a ten, eleven thousand dollar deduction. With cost segregation, if we're able to take, let's say, twenty percent of the total value can actually be reallocated to a faster depreciation to a five-year schedule. That means in this five hundred thousand dollar property, a hundred thousand dollars approximately can actually be taken over a five-year period. That means you're getting an extra twenty thousand dollars a year over those first five years, or with what's called bonus depreciation, you can actually take that $100,000 at the first year write-off. So let me back up and talk about bonus depreciation. The bonus depreciation, it seems like the cost segregation on steroids is what the bonus depreciation is. So that's exciting to me. I have all the questions in the world, but we're about to cover something extra juicy, which is the bonus depreciation also. So I'm super, super excited about that. And actually knowing that there are changes going on, it's even informing my strategy for 2022 versus 2023 and onward. What if you purchased a property furnished how long is the depreciation of the furniture, for example? Yeah, so that's a great question. As I mentioned before, the furniture is going to be depreciating all furniture, all personal property, all appliances, basically anything that's non-structural is going to depreciate on a five-year schedule, okay? And five-year schedule means we can take the value of all those components once we've done the conservation study at a five-year depreciation. You need to take that over a five-year period. And as I'm going to touch on in just a minute, we're going to be able to take that entire write-off in the first year with what's called a 100% bonus depreciation. We just got started, okay? So we just kind of define what cost segregation is. We're going to get into a lot more details and especially going to get into why this is so beneficial with the short-term rental strategy, okay? So the, the next thing I want to cover is this 100% bonus depreciation. The cost segregation study will allow you to take these faster deductions and over relatively faster years, five years, okay? 15 years, that's going to be land improvements, anything outside. So if you have a lot of landscaping or pavement, concrete, a swimming pool, patio, a deck, anything like that, all the value of those components are going to be depreciated on a 15-year schedule. In 2017, 
in the tax cuts and job act that was the big called the trump tax reform it was a big biggest tax reform that happened in, in 30 40 years and one thing that was introduced was this law called 100% bonus depreciation and it said that once you do a cost segregation study and have defined what those components are that depreciate on a 5 or 15 year schedule you now have the option to take 100% of those accelerated deductions in the first year, 100% of those. So in our, going back to our example of a half a million dollar property where you can take potentially $100,000 of, that's just 20%, and that's conservative, I'd say for short-term rental, somewhere between 20 and 30% is gonna be of the purchase price you're gonna be able to write off in the first year. Yep. In the accelerated depreciation, 100% bonus depreciation means you have the option to take that all up front in the first year. So $100,000, of tax deduction, that's pretty cool. And it's going to get cooler when we actually understand how, how does that work? How does that apply? Does, does that apply to me? Can that apply to my just my rental properties? Can that now apply to my W-2? Like, where does this fit in? And how is this going to make a big difference? Okay, so we're going to get into all that, but you do not have to make an election to do a cost segregation. You, this is something that is actually in the tax code. It is something that is defined by, and in, in fact, it's considered the proper way by the IRS to depreciate your property, okay? Really important to understand that you don't have to make a special election. You just have to not elect out of bonus depreciation, for example. But it's, it's any Schedule E, anytime you are depreciating your property, there's a form 4562, which is your depreciation schedule. It's gonna go part of your Schedule E, and that's, you're just gonna show what your depreciation deduction is. By doing the cost variation study, we're doing the back work, which creates that depreciation schedule, that number that you're now just going to put in that tax form. So there's a lot of back work, and that's why there are companies like ours that do this. Uh, but that's what bonus depreciation is. Okay. I purchased a home in 2021. I don't have the cost list from the builder. How can I do an estimate? I missed this opportunity this year. Can I start next year? So if you've already filed your 2021 taxes, you, you've missed to take the depreciation, the cost segregation for 2020. If you haven't yet, if you file an extension, you can still get the cost segregation study done for 2021. That's the first part of the question. The second part or two other parts is number one, you don't need any list from the builder. The great thing about the cost segregation study is we have our own engineers that analyze the property and analyze all those components and, and show what the value of those things are. Now, if you do have a new construction, that you actually built yourself. So there's a different, little bit of a difference between whether you built a property yourself versus if you just bought a property from a builder that was a new construction. So if you bought a property for a builder that's new construction, it doesn't matter if you have the costs because we're going to come in and our engineers are going to identify what those components are and what the value of all those individual components are. Okay, because it's never going to be the cost of what those that those materials were, okay? Because there's always going to be a markup from the builder. And so there are a lot of details there. Whereas if you're actually spending the money and constructing a property yourself, all of those costs, are that's your cost basis. That's what you are putting in there. And we need to know what those components, what those what that money was spent on. Basically a breakdown of budget of some, some sort. A second part of that question is, is it too late? The answer is no. So even if you've just been doing what's called a straight line depreciation. Let's say you've owned a property for a year or two or three or five even. You can even go back further than that. But if you've owned a property and you've just been taking regular depreciation and you didn't know about this cost segregation study, you can actually go back retroactively without amending your previous year's tax returns. You can now 
take what's called a catch-up or a look-back study where you're able to look back at, and find whatever depreciation that you could have taken that you missed and basically take it as a lump sum this year going forward. Okay, so again, you don't need to do any amendments to do that. Uh, it is something that is very common. And again, it has a lot to do with when is the strategy, when is actually the best time to get this. And, and this is going to be something that is a great segue to something else I want to talk about, about what can you do with these deductions? Like, when should you be doing this? Is it something that you need to do in the first year? Is it something that you should be doing? And it really does depend on when are you going to be able to take advantage of those tax deductions, okay? Because short-term rent, or let's just talk rental properties in general, okay? Rental properties in general are considered, the income that comes from any rental property is usually considered passive income. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, it's not passive at all. I'm working like, like how many hours a week like doing this? However, the IRS deems it from Schedule E, it's considered passive rental income. That being said, depreciation is also considered a Schedule E passive deduction, which means generally speaking for most rental properties, you can only use this depreciation deduction in that bucket, meaning to offset any rental income you have. But let's say you're talking about your rental property is bringing in, let's say, $40,000 of net income, okay? If you do a conservation study and get a $100,000 deduction, what would that do to your, your income? If it's solely a rental property, and let's just keep it simple, you're not a, it's not a short-term rental and you're not a real estate professional, and I'm going to define what those terms are and why that's important, then your $40,000 of income, net income, is going to be reduced, right? The $100,000 deduction from cost will reduce that to zero, meaning you'll pay zero taxes on your $40,000 of income. So that's great. And the extra $60,000 is what's going to be called a passive loss, meaning you can't take that and use that against any other income, not against your W-2 or your active income. Because again, rental property, passive income, depreciation, passive deduction in one category. So it's going to create a passive loss. It will carry forward, meaning you don't lose it. You can use it next year. You can use it in the future years, okay? That's generally speaking for all rental property, any investment property you have, real estate. However, there are some great exceptions to this. And that's exactly why we're here tonight to talk about these rules and why this is so beneficial specifically for short-term rental owners. Because short-term rentals have a special rule because in these passive loss activity rules, and there's a whole section in the tax code that talks about these passive losses and if you can use them against active income, if not, there's something that's talking about transient properties, short-term rentals, where if the average stay is less than seven days, which most short-term rentals are, okay, not all, obviously you can have longer stays, but if the average stay is less than seven days, then and you fulfill one of these categories of what's called material participation, okay, which means you need to be spending either one, one qualification is 100 hours a year plus more time than anyone else. So it's not too difficult to, to fulfill that. If you're setting up a property all that time being set, spending setting it up, you probably get to 100 hours right there. But anytime dealing with guests throughout the year, et cetera, all that managing the property that 100 hours, and again, more time than anyone else. So if you have a property manager doing it, it's probably not going to work. But if you do self-manage, you're going to get this. Why is this important? Because if you have this material participation qualification, you're able to now use these passive losses against your active income or your W-2 income or your spouse's W-2 income or any other income source whatsoever, which is why the cost creation is so powerful with the bonus depreciation and with 
the short-term rentals. Because again, let's take that same scenario. We had $40,000 of income. Get the cost thing done, you get a $100,000 deduction. You wipe out your rental income to zero, not paying any taxes on that rental income this year. And then this extra $60,000, what do you do with it? You can now use that to reduce your taxable income from any other source, your W-2 or whatever. So that's the big, 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 big thing that we need to know when it comes to cost irrigation and short-term rentals. So let me ask you this real quick, Yona. So that does that have the potential to change your tax bracket, for instance, like where you fall on the tax bracket? Absolutely. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I purchased an STR last year and did a cost seg study, 107K deduction. Which activities count towards the 100 hours of material participation? I haven't filed 2021 taxes yet. Yeah, so the actual activities that are going to qualify for your material participation, unfortunately, the IRS is very, very vague on this subject. I have heard from many accountants that Tracking your hours is important, but again, what are those activities? Really anything that has to do with managing, setting up, if you're doing any sort of construction or renovations, anything that's involved in, if you're purchasing things for the property itself, you can track those hours. And again, the setting up and, and the actual managing of it, which, which can involve communication with the guests, communication perhaps with any maintenance people, or if, if you're doing anything like that. What won't count in probably is like, bookkeeping and, and perhaps just studying and things like that, even though some of those things can be used in other areas when we talk about the real estate professional status where you can have up to 250 hours of these kind of non-material participation activities. Material participation is when you're actually involved in the, the running of that. So we don't need what's called substantial participation or substantial work where you're actually like serving the guest or you're literally running a B&B, a bread and breakfast, where you're actually like going and bringing them food and actually serving the guests. We're not talking about that. That certainly can be used, but even things where you're, you're remote, okay? You own a property in a different state and traveling there and actually going and setting up and things like that, that will all work towards those hours. But again, I would check with your accountants and just make sure that they're on board with that and they understand that. There's also, I'll give a shout out to to Brandon Hall, the real estate CPA, uh, that has a lot of great content surrounding this specific subject. I love it. I love it. Next question. Any hours from contract signing through due diligence and closing in addition to others? Yeah. So along the, along the same lines from contract signing, the acquisition phase, any due diligence and things like that, those hours should be those hours should be tracked and then it froze. Is that and what? Anything from acquisition onwards. Okay, fantastic. Awesome, awesome. I have a cost seg study and sent it to my accountant. Do I need a real estate accountant? Can my regular accountant do it properly? You have a cost seg study already. Probably filled it out online or something. Is that is that an option that you can DIY a cost seg study, you think? There are some companies out there that have these kind of online algorithm-based do-it-yourself DIY conservation studies. I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend them. They, they do come with their own risk, especially in the event of an audit. They may not stand up. However, if you had a conservation study done, your accountant should be able to apply that. Now, the one meaning it's essentially just going to create a new depreciation schedule, and that's just a copy and paste for your accountant to do. The one thing that is going to be a little bit tricky is 
making sure that your CPA understands these rules when it comes to the passive loss activity rules and this material participation. I've seen some CPAs who are not real estate focused being tripped up on this and, and, and not getting it right when it comes to the passive activity rules. There is something else that's called a real estate professional status. That means you have to have a full-time job in the real estate profession, and then you can use these passive losses against your active income. What we're talking about here with the short-term rentals is not that, okay? So I've seen a lot of CPAs actually get confused between these two, and they're two separate things entirely, okay? So just make sure you can bring them, give them resources. Again, like I said, you can show this video or, or show them resources that you can find online just to clarify that, you don't necessarily need a real estate-focused accountant. However, if your goal is to continue buying more properties and you want to make sure you're getting the most out of it, I, if your accountant is not focused on real estate, he doesn't get it, you may be missing out not just things like this, but other things that come along with real estate. So it may be a good idea to find someone else. Yeah, I love that. So, it, and it really is industry specific. So, say you're into mining crypto, you're going to want a CPA who's very familiar with that because there's probably some benefits behind that CPA may know more than any other CPA out there. And so, if you are really looking to get into real estate, I do agree 100% with Yona. Definitely find CPAs that can support you in that way. Because not only do they, some of them, they do pre prepare your taxes, but a lot of them can be strategists on your team to kind of give you pointers and how to strategically position yourself and position your portfolio to, to take advantage of a lot of the beneficial things out there. Okay. Does this apply if using your primary home as well? Hmm, that's a good question. Does this apply if using your primary home as well? So you cannot take a depreciation deduction from a primary residence. So it is specifically for rental properties and, or business properties, as I mentioned before. If you have maybe, there may be a situation where you're like house hacking and maybe you're renting one unit and living in another unit. And therefore the, the rental unit can actually, you can take depreciation based on that prorated amount of that property. Or similarly, if you're maybe like Airbnb, you're renting out a room or something like that. It is a rental property, but not the entire property. So you're going to have to take just that prorated amount. So let's say you bought a property for like a million dollars and it's a five bedroom house and you're renting out one room for Airbnb. So really it gets a little tricky because you can take like 20% of that as your tax base and you can take that as your depreciation basis. However, it gets a little tricky when we're talking about common areas and things like that. So I would just check with your accountant. But generally speaking, if it's just a primary residence, no depreciation, sorry. Does this also work? If the property is owned in a multi-member LLC, if I run the property, but other members have inactive roles, how would that work? Yeah, excellent question. So this can be done if it's under your personal name, if it's under LLC, if it's in a corporation, it doesn't matter. You can, you can do a consideration. I didn't know that you could that. do it under your personal name, Yona. I missed that. Sure, that is yeah, fantastic. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. Because it's a rental property. And so an LLC just flows through to you. An LLC is just an entity, which, which is you. It's just kind of, for legal purposes, an LLC is very important because it can protect you from liability. However, from a tax perspective, it makes really no difference because it's just a pass-through entity, which means that, and just to answer your question, you and every member of that LLC, depending on how the operating agreement was written in that LLC, usually has a percentage of ownership, which means they will take a percentage of that depreciation will be allocated to each person individually. The, the thing that 
is going to be different here is that if you have inactive members, maybe they're passive investors or something like that, they won't be able to get that material participation aspect in it, meaning they will be able to use the depreciation to offset any rental income they have. So for one property or any properties, however, they won't, won't be able to take um, what's called the material participation and then use that against any active income. Only someone who's actually active in the business can do that. And, and that makes sense because material participation covers a little bit of what we're talking about earlier. What counts as material participation is that setting up and the management. So if they're inactive, it sounds like they're not really materially participating. So I think it's, it, it's I'm, I'm picking up what you're putting down, Yona. I got you. <laughs> oh my goodness, it's usually really daunting. But Yona, I appreciate you having such a heart of a teacher, I can tell, because you're breaking it down for us. How do you keep track of your hours? Any hints or tricks for us, Yona? There, it is a little bit difficult to keep track of hours. I've heard suggestions, just keeping out a log of some kind, whether that's an Excel sheet. And if you are going to be working on it, just keep a log. Again, this is not something that is required for you to, to show, but it really is more than anything, just in the event of an audit, if you're ever audited, God forbid, I don't wish that on anyone. But if you are, you just have the proof to show that you were with the over-dispating. So you can show, the, show that. I've seen... There's actually an app out there that someone showed me. I was at a conference a few weeks ago, uh, a couple of weeks ago. Last, it was last week. Time flies. But it was last week at a conference, which is why we were supposed to do this last week. Yeah. Uh, I was in Atlanta last week at this time. No and way. I'm south of Atlanta. Yona, we could have there for like I was there for like 48 hours, like in and out. But, oh, was, gotcha. <laughs> but no, I, next time. It's a great city. Yeah. I'll, I'll be back. No, no doubt. <laughs> but when someone showed me this cool app, and I forget what it's called, but I'm sure you can Google it and find out what it is. It's something about for reps. So reps is called real estate professional status. And it's basically an app that show, that tracks your hours and you just kind of log your activity. I'm doing this activity. I'm starting now, whatever. And it kind of tracks those hours for you. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. And yeah, I'm sure the more we transition, a lot of us who are transitioning from Full on W-2 to real estate professionals, there's going to be apps out there to support us. One app that I like to use, and I'll throw it out there on a is one that's called Toggle. So it's more of a time management, task management app, but I find it useful because that's actually how I ended up creating SOPs for my business. I would say, okay, it just took me four hours to debate back and forth with Verbo to do this one task. And I realized... I didn't love that task. That was one of the first tasks that I delegated to my virtual assistant. So just tracking those hours, I identified that I was spending hours and hours going back and forth with the OTAs asking for things, asking to remove things. And so that's one of the things that I delegated and it integrates with other time management tools as well. So Toggle, you can just jot in what it is that you're doing. There's an app on the phone and I'm sure there's more better apps that are more equipped for what it is that we're doing. But another app, another I would say activity that I would utilize whenever we're driving to a property or from a property, we're pumping gas, we'll just throw the receipts in <laughs> like a little folder to indicate that this is part of the short-term rental investing activities that, that we're doing. Because for some reason, we're extremely, there's an affinity to audit me and my husband. <laughs> we get audited all the time. So we're always trying to cover our tracks with our activities. 
So those are some of the things that I've done, but that's kind of a hackish way of doing it. Definitely. I'm sure there's a, a more streamlined way and I look forward to to streamline a little bit more. Can you use cost segregation depreciation to offset capital gains? What a great question. Yeah. And and the simple answer is yes. So cost segregation is depreciation. And we mentioned before, it's considered a passive deduction. Capital gains is a passive gain. And so it's really within the same category. You're able to short answer. It's not that simple when we're actually breaking down income tax versus capital gain tax. They're in different categories, but simply put, Yes, you can. Like I mentioned before, the first place where that consideration goes is to offset your income, right? And income tax is usually taxed at a higher rate anyways. So it's going to be more beneficial in most cases to use that against your income. But if you do have leftover losses, then I've seen people kind of use that against your capital gain. And this is even a strategy I've seen in many cases where similar to a 1031 exchange, right? So if you're not familiar with that, that's a great tax strategy that allows you to instead of selling a property outright and then buying another one and having this big capital gain tax bill, you can actually exchange uh, from one property to another by filling out these forms and you have to all these parameters. But by doing that, you can actually defer the capital gain tax and defer your capital tax, et cetera, as well. However, there's something I've heard some accountants refer to as a lazy a lazy 1031 exchange. So what's that? That's when you do a cost segregation study and get bonus depreciation in the same year, get a huge amount of extra losses and use those losses to offset the capital gain without having to do a 1031 exchange. To answer the question, yes. So, Yona, how much does it cost for cost segregation? And what would you say, you know what, it's probably not worth it to go that route because we have various budgets in our community. We have individuals mm -hmm. who are buying super cute little tiny houses, which is can be controversial from lending perspective, whether or not it's like a DMV type unit versus mm -hmm. a actual real property. And then we have those and those can be anywhere from the 180K situation. And then we have those who have 2.2 million under contract right now in the group. So it, it varies. So when would you say, you know what, around this number, it's probably not worth it because it is, it's going to be pricey. And then we may not see the benefit from it to make it worth our while. Is is there at a breaking point that you would say, you know what, maybe it, it might not be beneficial for this particular price point of home? Absolutely. So the, the great thing is we always run a free analysis up front. So you can know ahead of time what the cost is going to be, what the benefit is going to be. Our Flat fee right now for pretty much all short-term rentals, all single families is about $3,000, okay? So they get the full conservation study done. But again, that free analysis is just going to show you ahead of time, okay, if I bought a property for X amount and it's this, we're, our engineers will look at some details of the property and give you a conservative estimate and show you what you can expect. First of all, that $3,000 is a tax write-off, which means that's a business deduction in and of itself. So then you have to factor that in. Second of all, my general thumb always used to be for all types of properties, about a half a million dollar purchase price. That's where it's like a no brainer. But when you add in these rules about the short term rentals and about the material participation and how you can now use this against with the bonus depreciation and all these terms that we're throwing around over here that hopefully you've been paying attention until now, these are some great terms. But if with the short term rentals, I even say, you know, basically anything over $200,000 or $300,000 purchase price. It's really beneficial. Again, you can use that. Maybe you're going to get a, a $50,000, $60,000 tax deduction. But again, if you can use that to reduce your taxable income, think about that. Even 
if you're not, again, that $60,000, that depreciation is not a refund, okay, necessarily. However, if you are a W-2 employee and you're prepaying your taxes and you get a large loss, you may actually get a refund because it may trigger a refund. But the, the depreciation itself is not going to give you like a refund check. It's just going to reduce your taxable income. But the net benefit, depending on what your tax rate is, is certainly going to be beneficial. Even if you're in a very low tax bracket, like 22% or something like that, but you can still on a, a $50,000 right, tax deduction, you're still going to be netting, right, saving about $20,000 or so. So it really, even like I said, on a $200,000, $300,000 purchase, you can still be saving $20,000, in cash. I, I'm not going to say everyone should do this. You obviously, it's going to depend on your specific situation, but I certainly have seen plenty of people that have benefited even on properties that size. Fiona, no joke. I thought we we're going to be in the 10 to 12K range for cost sex study. When you said 3,000, I was like, hold up, wait a minute. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That is not bad. That is not bad at all. I really thought we we're in the five-figure range. And of course, Google tells us it's about 20K. I said, okay, Yona exactly. says it's not 20K. <laughs> so it's more like 12K. <laughs> 3,000 flat. That is insane. That is so good. So guys, yeah. oh my god. for other types of properties, like like I said, we deal in, in, in the company I work for, by the way, is called Madison Specs. So you feel reach out to me or anyone at any time. But anything... Any property, even a multifamily, even a skyscraper, right? It's not going to be $30,000, right? It's going to be, there is work that's involved in engineering. It, it does depend on the size and scope of work, but we're talking only five to $10,000 on most types of commercial properties. So it's not, even for like a large property, it's it's still extremely beneficial. And then you're talking about maybe a $20, $50 million purchase price and you're paying $10,000 to get like millions of dollars of tax write-offs. It's, it's a no-brainer. Oh my goodness. No brainer. So tell the people, how is the best way or what's the best way to get in touch with you? You guys can find me. I'm on all social media, I'm on especially LinkedIn. I'm very, very active on LinkedIn, on Facebook as well. I'm in the group now, thanks to Rachel. So you guys can hit me up on in the group or you can find, find me at yonawice.com or like I said, our company is Madison Specs which you can just find it at Madison Specs. Awesome. We have another question. You're based in New Jersey. Do you do cost segs in other states? Yes, we do cost segs in all 50 states. Nice. Uh, so we've, we're actually the biggest national conservation company. We did about 5,000 properties last year. Oh alone. my goodness. And, uh, and yeah, with the onset of COVID, we transitioned to doing a lot of our engineer site visits virtually. Okay. And so we've continued that throughout, which means we do like what we call a smart tour instead of actually sending one of our engineers on site to the property. We will just have a video call in most types of properties. Again, there are plenty of commercial properties that we actually still need to send our engineers physically to the property. Most types of properties you can, we can get done with a, a virtual walkthrough, a video call, and we'll be able to take all the data from that and create the study from that. Can you do cost seg for 30-day rentals? Yeah, you can do it for any type of rental property. The one thing that is going to be different with 30-day rentals is when we were talking about the material participation and that benefit of being able to use these deductions against your active income, that's going to be limited to, like we said earlier, when the average stay is less than seven days. But it can still be used against your rental income. So that's going to be a benefit in of itself. We talked cost segregation. We talked 1031 exchange briefly, lazy 1031. 
the less than seven day nightly rentals that give us that material participation. Like we covered so many different aspects. And again, the point is I want us to work smarter and not harder. And so having an understanding of these tax tools that are out there will help us to work smarter and not harder because 2022 for me is a year of alignment. A year of doing less, a year of a little bit more relaxing and resting and finding that alignment with what I want to do, things that light me up. So that comes with working smarter and not harder. And I'm so excited to have shared Yona with you guys. And he's going to be in the group. He's on LinkedIn. Definitely, definitely connect with him because when you're connecting with the right people, it really, you have no choice but to up-level your game and super excited. How much is the cost segregation with your company? I think you said 3K. Can you please confirm? That is correct. For short-term rentals, that's our current fee. Is this a once and done study or does it have to be updated periodically? Yes, it's a, it is a once and done, right? It's a, something you do once and you're good to go. You have your depreciation schedule set up and you basically have it for the life of ownership. The, the one time where you would want to get an update is only if you're doing like a major renovation, okay? So your tax basis, the amount you can depreciate is solely based on your purchase price. It won't change if you're getting a, a, an, a reappraisal or you do your refinance and it goes up in value. Unfortunately, the IRS only looks at how much money was spent, what the purchase price is. However, if you do a major renovation, and I'm not talking about like minor things, adding some furniture, stuff like that, that's not what I'm talking about. If like a year or two later or something like that, you're actually doing a major renovation, spending considerable amount of money, that money spent should be depreciated, okay? Meaning you add that to your tax basis. And depending on what that is, it can be broken down into doing updated conservation, specifically on the renovation component. Again, this is not necessarily something you need to do, especially smaller properties, but it is something that can be done. If your average day is less than three days, then you were saying it's ordinary income, not passive income, correct? I'm a realtor, so I have enough hours. Yeah. So the, the realtor thing, it, there's something called the real estate professional status, right? What we talked about, the average day is less than seven days. That's going to help you with the material participation if you are a W-2 employee and you can't have this real estate professional status. So what you have is called real estate professional status. This is a specific rule in the tax code that says that if your main occupation is actually in real estate, at your realtor or your, you know, you're managing your full-time real estate and you don't have a W-2 job or another job, then you don't have these passive loss limitations. You can use the depreciation against your active income or your spouse's W-2 income, whatever that is. That's not the case if you have a W-2, but that's where you need to get into the material participation with the short-term rentals. All right. So next question. I'm thinking I could buy a property for this year to do SCR for 2022 and then transition to 30-day next year. Possible scenario. Yana, tell us around the timeline. So I think this has to do a little bit with the timeline. And then I know 2023 bonus depreciation percentage, I believe, changes from 100 to 80%, which is still good. But you you feel free to overwrite me. Tell us what the real deal is. You're absolutely right about the bonus depreciation. I started to phase out. Again, I mentioned this, this came about in the 2017 tax reform. And was set in the books that it's going to start phasing out in 2023. So this is the last year when you buy a property this year, do conservation this year, the last year, it's a 100% bonus depreciation. Next year, it's going to start phasing out by 20% each year. So it's going to be 80%, which means you're going to take, if you can take about $100,000 deduction, 
in the first year with bonus in our example earlier, it, it's going to go down to 80,000 and then that 20% left over can still be accelerated to the five and 15 year categories, but can't be taken all at once. But to answer the second question is, you're thinking of a transition, the 30 day rental. Yeah, so it really is going to depend. The seven, day, seven days or less, this material participation is looked at on a year by year basis. So for you to be able to take those deductions this year, it will be bonus depreciation. You can take that. You can use that against your active income this year. If you have extra losses, it will carry forward, right? So you're not going to be limited to the losses once you've taken them. But the strategy of a 70-day rental, again, you're not going to be able to take that. If you're not a real estate professional, you're not going to be able to take those material participation hours. Awesome. What types of benefits can we extrapolate from this? Are there any? Is there none? Um, yeah, new construction, it's really going to be the same thing. I mentioned okay. earlier on that we talked about the difference between buying a new construction property mm -hmm. from ready to go. And so you're going to do a consolidation no different than if you were buying a previously built property. Because again, the depreciation starts. I don't know if I mentioned this, but it doesn't matter if the property is new construction or it was built in 1952. You, your depreciation starts the day that you buy it, right? The day you place it in service, okay? So your 39-year schedule is going to start the day that you place it in service. However, there are a couple of nuances. So number one, when you're talking about new construction, it's actually going to be a little bit less beneficial from a conservation standpoint because more value is going to be assigned to the structural components, okay? If you have brand new construction, this structure is brand new and therefore more value is placed in that. As compared to the other, as compared to the other components, the second thing we talked about is if you're actually building a property yourself. Okay, so if you're building a property yourself, we're not going to be just be looking at your purchase price from the from the contractor. What we're going to be looking at is actual all the materials. So you're going to need to take have a, an itemized list of what materials were used and what was spent on what, like how much went into paving the driveway, how much were the cabinets, how much was countertops, et cetera, flooring. So you need to keep an itemized list of that if, if you're actually building it yourself. But again, if you're just buying it brand new from a contractor, you don't need to take note of any of that. What if you have an existing property? Does cost segregation works? It sounds like you're talking about new purchases. Yeah. So we mentioned earlier, you can do this on an existing property. Again, it's not just a new purchase. You can do this in the first year. A lot of people like to get it done in the first year of ownership. But if you've owned a property for many years and you never did a cost segregation study and you've just been taking what's called straight line regular depreciation, you can go back and actually catch up whatever depreciation you missed that you could have taken. So it's not just for, for new properties. It can be done retroactively as well. What about someone who sold their property and did not take advantage? Is there any hope for that? individual getting cost segregation studies for property that they sold last year? Unfortunately not. If you didn't claim depreciation, then you cannot claim it retroactively on something you've already sold. Okay, good to know. This was so good. I feel like the wheels are turning. A lot of people are wondering, do I qualify? How do I leverage this tool? And, and really, that's what we're here for. We want to make sure that 
You're leveraging the tool and the levers that are available to you. Super, super excited to have you tonight, Yona. But I know we're talking cost segregation studies with Yona Weiss. We're super, super passionate about making sure you're getting the information that you need because sharing is caring. And so thank you again so very much for being here with us tonight, Yona. And I look forward to us staying connected in the group. Definitely follow up with Yona, whether it's his link tree or follow him on LinkedIn. Yona, there's one more question. One more question. Are there any tax advantages that you're aware of for short-term rental arbitrage? I don't know if that's something that you've come across is where you're subleasing, so to speak, or let to let or, or renting and then leasing out. Do you know of any? Yeah. So unfortunately, the the Conservation is only for depreciation is only a deduction for rental property. So you actually have to own a property in order to claim the depreciation deduction. If you are, however, if you are doing an arbitrage and you're buying a lot of furniture, you're buying a lot of appliances, maybe right, you're you're setting up the place, you can actually expense that, meaning they can be business expenses, the cost of all those furnishings and things like that. You're not gonna be able to take depreciation per se but the value of those things can actually be deducted and, and likely can be either what's called a 179 deduction or can literally just be used as business expenses, which will obviously reduce your, your taxable income extensively. So keep that in mind. Otherwise, if you're just doing something like that, unfortunately, depreciation won't apply. All right. So you got us locked and locked and loaded. So thank you again, Yona. I so appreciate you educating us in this space. Yona, as you can tell, he is an educator. He loves to share this type of information with us, with our group and other populations who are looking to invest in real estate. So just, just so grateful to have you, Yona. So check him out on all his things. He does a ton of podcasting <laughs> as well. And I know it can get technical sometimes, but I appreciate you just kind of taking it down a notch so that we all can kind of follow along with you, Yona. And so again, much appreciation to you. I'll let you close it out if you have any last words for the people. Yeah, no, I just wanted to thank you for having me. This has been a lot of fun. You're absolutely right. I enjoy doing this. I enjoy answering the questions. Definitely enjoy helping people and feel free to reach out if we didn't cover any questions or we skipped any questions or you have questions or follow-up questions or you want like a free analysis. Like I said, where you can see if your property qualifies or something you want to do reach out. I put the links in the comments above or like Rachel said, you can find me on all the socials and uh, yeah, happy to do this. Awesome. Awesome. All right, guys. So appreciate you all being here. I hope you're inspired to see what's possible and have a good night. See you next week. Bye.